0: Well, good morning, and welcome to East Lake Online. My name is Brent, and uh, thanks for catching us online this morning. It is ten o'clock on Sunday morning. We are filming this live at the Uptown Theater, mostly empty. In fact, there are just two chairs set up—one right here and one right here for Megan and Kylie. I wish you could see it and flip the camera around, but that's impossible. Uh, we are glad that you are logging in. If you're watching this live, um, thanks for taking time out of a Sunday morning, carving it out, and making the making this thing a reality. Uh, and we know there's probably two to three times as many of you that uh, watch this throughout the week, uh, either on our talk page or through our podcast or whatever. So uh, if that's you and you're watching this while driving or uh, going to the gym or something, maybe, I don't know. Well, you can't be doing that. But whatever else that you're doing while you're watching this or listening to this, uh, thanks for being a part uh, of this interesting community of people who are trying to figure out what it might look like to walk in the way of Jesus uh, in 2020. So And if this is your first time logging in, Uh, you you found us somehow, a friend invited you, or you got lost in uh, kind of a rabbit hole on Facebook or whatever and and clicked on some links, and here you are. Uh, We're so glad that you're watching this as well. We're a church uh, that usually typically meets at the Uptown Theater, and uh, hopefully we'll be back to doing that regularly soon. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Pirate Radio, a series on misfits. It's going to be about a four part series, so this is part two of four. So if you missed last week, there's a website you can go to, slash talks. Right now, you're on Slash live, so just change the last few letters there, you'll be good to go. Um, but it's basically a, a series that has talked about a little bit of a historical thing that actually happened in history. Uh, back in the mid-1960s, there existed boats that would anchor offshore in the North Sea and broadcast illegal radio stations back over to the UK mainland, playing songs that were either banned from the radio for their content uh, or just limited in terms of their airplay and the time frame that they were able to play. They would only allow them to play some, certain songs or styles. Of uh, genres of songs of music uh, on Sunday afternoons at four o'clock, and you know who wants to listen to radio at four o'clock on a Sunday. Um, and so these, uh, these, these radio stations, these people would be like, we want to play our music. And it was like popular music. This was the chart-topping stuff at the time. This was uh, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Who, the, all of the bands that were super big uh, and so limited. And so they would broadcast offshore and do these things. And eventually at the peak of their powers, uh, they, the, the, the time frame ran for about four years And at the peak of their powers in about year three, they had about 25 million U.K. listeners, which is about half the population at the time, and it was driving the uh, mainland stations nuts uh, because they weren't paying all the rights, they weren't doing all the things, they were doing whatever they wanted to do and being very... rebellious at its core, or and they they called it pirate radio, essentially, because we know from like history, world history, um, that pirates have always kind of found this unique way of doing things, like the systems are in place, and the world kind of operates in this way, and they feel like um, that's kind of setting us up to fail. They feel like uh, we can't get involved in that, or or it's too corporate, or it's too uh, I don't know uh, polished. It's too something, and we feel like we can meet a need in this way, and so we're going to rob from these boats. And we're going and I've been reading up on pirates too, and I've been like watching the pirates movie. So I'm like super like into that kind of stuff. And um, anyways so that's, that was interesting. They called this, this, this idea of kind of this new paradigm shift in terms of how to manage broadcasting pirate, right? It's not because they played pirate music, because what is that even, anyways, um, uh, but it was, it was very much a um, entry feels blocked for us, and it doesn't feel like there's a way for us to win, uh, and we kind of want our own freedom and our own um, things to do, and it, it was very much a, Uh, a battle that rises up every once in a while um, about like this idea of capital versus labor, capital versus labor. And uh, every once in a while, when the pain of staying the same um, is... Uh, too much, and I'd rather just make a shift and a change. The pain of, of change is is lower than the pain of changing the same or staying the same. Then we then something happens. Then then uh, uh, industries are disrupted, right? And so uh, that's exactly what took place in there. It's what took place in the pirate history of the 17th century, and uh, we get what we know as pirate radio in this way. Long before um, Spotify, long before Apple Music and listening to songs on YouTube, and even before you could buy individual songs on iTunes, the music industry made you, I don't know if you know this, because if you're less than like 30, you probably didn't know this, but they made you buy entire albums if you wanted access to like one or two of the songs that were on the radio, Um, which, and there'd be like 20 bucks. You'd go to like the mall, you'd go to FYE, or you'd go to uh, like Hastings, all all these stores that don't exist anymore because of this reason right here. Um, And they would charge you like 20 bucks for a CD, which doesn't sound like much to you, but like based on inflation, that felt like about $200. Um, And then the worst part about it is there was 12 songs or 14 songs or whatever, and eight of them sucked. And four of them were decent, and one of them was good. Like, that's how that sort of thing um, worked. Uh, so uh, in light of that industry, and there was so much control in that, along came this thing called Napster, right? Um, and uh, Or uh, if you were a good Christian boy like me, Napster felt like too illegal, so you'd go LimeWire. But it's the same thing. Uh, peer-to-peer sharing, BitTorrent sort of stuff in that way with a single click of a button I could get the entire Oasis album in a moment and for free. I would just click download, and boom. Seven hours later, it was on my Microsoft Zune, ready to be played in my ears uh, for this. And we've all done, and that's like very pirate (laughs) material. You're like, Microsoft Zunes, totally forgot about those. Me too. uh, pirate that's that that was like that pirate way of life we've all done pirate things at, at times if you've ever bought a cheap dvd or a knockoff dolce gabbana purse or mavada watch on the streets of new york city or seattle or whatever um, and you would be like oh mine's real it's not we know that it's fine pirate that's pirate kind of stuff if you've ever photocopied uh, photocopied a chapter of a book and given it to uh, a friend or say like your entire church board or whatever, like that's pirate sort of stuff. Um, If you've ever not been invited to a party uh, and you ended up, you're like, I don't even want to go to that stupid party anyways. So you start your own party and then you invite all the people that you know were invited to that other party that makes you not a good friend. And then maybe also a little bit of a pirate. Like that's, those two things are sort of related. If you've ever walked up the ramp at the Uptown Theater after an East Lake service and walked directly past the blue bins that clearly say, please put your stuff in here and walked out with one of our blue pens and taken it home because now you've got 300 at home. That's pirate-like material right there. You are a pirate. And just like open full confession, like my wife has a drawer at home full of blue pens. It's right next to my bathroom sink, but it's her, (laughs) her collection of pens. If you've ever felt like the church, and when I say church, I mean capital C church, not like this local expression of the church, but like the church as a whole isn't really a welcoming place for somebody like you. If you've ever felt like entry feels sort of blocked, um, you have gone off the kind of MO of uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not like particularly religious. And then I would say to you to that, like everybody's religious, whether you like it or not. So you would say, okay, fine, I'm religious, but I'm like not into like that whole organized religion thing. I've never felt committed, or ne- I've never felt like it was necessary to be committed to a local expression of a church. I just kind of figured this out on my own. Then perhaps last week's message, um, like, kind of scratches that itch for that pirate piece inside of you. Jesus um, has this conversation. He's teaching, and um, it's in the in Matthew later on, in, after he's kind of done a bunch of stuff, and He's got a crowd of people, his disciples or followers or whatever. And he has the issues, these woes to these Pharisees. And the very first one is, and Pharisees are religious leaders of the day, the people in control and charge, the pastors of the day or whatever. He looks at them and he says, woe to you. You're obsessed with making it difficult for people. Um, to come to know God, you're you're you are you you uh, you are obsessed with making it difficult, like keeping it an exclusive thing to be connected to um, a, a religious synagogue or just in general a, a life that is kind of spiritual in that way, um, which contr- you know contradicts the verse that we've talked about a lot, and if you've ever gone through 101, you know that this is kind of our theme verse as a church, Um, but in Acts chapter 15, there's a Jerusalem council, and James, the brother of Jesus, stands up, and, and amidst everybody who is kind of Trying to make sense of what do we do with this whole Jesus person, this new teaching, and we got Judaism, but we've also got this new like branch of Christianity in this way. And he says, "It's my theory, it's my guess, it's my interpretation that we should not make it difficult for people who are trying to follow, find and follow Jesus." And that's been; those are the two different contrasts. Like pirates, pirates look at uh, controlled systems and say, "I'm going to get through. I'm going to fight through. I'm going to find a way." Um, and that uh, there's an understanding for that. Like systems get closed. That's how things work. Whenever people get into a club, they wanna make it, once I'm in, I wanna make it really hard for other people to get in. That makes the exclusivity of my involvement in this make me feel like a better person for it. It's part of book clubs, it's part of social clubs, it's part of whatever school group you're in. That's just like how life works in general, and the church is not exempt from that. And Jesus has harsh words to say about that, and he, he, he comes out very clearly and says that shouldn't be a part uh, of any any of this at all. Christianity, its best form, has a little bit of piracy in it. It has a little bit of, if this feels blocked, let's push through, let's find a different way. Now to be fair, in its worst form, it can also be complicit in keeping people out. And we've had a long history of that. So perhaps, and this is what the series is about, perhaps the church would do well to operate as some sort of a pirate radio, beaming a signal back to a status quo sort of world saying there's a different way to be able to do all of this. So um, that's been why we're doing this, and uh, we've been looking at some of the subversive uh, p- passages of Jesus' his ministry and His, his words and, and what that early church sort of looked like. So today, we are going to be in Luke chapter 4, um, looking at one of the most, I think, polarizing or stands out or really setting the tone for what He wants His ministry to be known for and it to be uh, about um, the setting for Luke 4 is this. Uh, early on in Luke, you've got the birth narratives, uh, the things that we celebrate at Christmas. Um, and so but then it speeds kind of through. There's like an end of, of chapter two, it speeds through. that. Those are the early times of Jesus, you know, and, the, and then he grew up and whatever. And then it goes into the temptations of Jesus in the desert. He goes off and does the 40 days of fasting and uh, the temptations and all of those things, setting himself up for um, uh, entry into his public ministry. Now, um, what you need to know about Luke is Luke was the third of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. Um, Luke was a doctor who uh, at the very beginning gives away his reason for why he wrote about Jesus in this way. He wants to give an orderly account. There's a lot of information out there. I've got a friend who needs to know sort of an orderly, let me make sense of it. He was a doctor, so well educated, a really good writer. His Greek is really fantastic. Anyways, um, so he's, he's, uh, he's using this as a platform to be able to kind of communicate the truth about who Jesus was. And it's very, very clear that he he borrows a lot of stuff from Mark's gospel. Um, Matthew and Luke both do this, um, meaning the time frame that Mark provides, Mark's written first, There's it's very... It's pretty obvious to everybody kind of studying it that Luke wrote his gospel probably with a copy of Mark next to him to follow in the timeline. Everything that they do kind of stands in a certain way or flows uh, very, very normal from each other. You can read it and be like, they, they say the exact same words here. At some point, he just like basically steals the text over. Uh, and, this way. and John operates differently. He, he does his own thing. So anytime that there's a deviation in Luke's gospel, there's an intention behind it. Um, because he's so he's so clearly in line with it. In, with Mark's gospel the rest of the way. And right here, we get one of our first kind of separate kind of moments of that. Well, the birth narratives don't show up in Mark, they show up in Luke. So that's, that would be the first one. But this one's really, really big. This is not this is a big deal. Um, Jesus would have gone into a synagogue and, and taught people over and over again in Mark's. But here, Luke puts it right at the very beginning, almost as an initiation to his ministry. This is what this whole thing is going to be about. This is why Jesus came. And, he, and in Mark's th- teaching, sort of things, um, he would say that he went in and taught the people, and it was great. And here in Luke, we get like a specific passage of the sermon that Jesus taught. So this is, this is good stuff. This is like a, That's the preface for why this is all important, all right? So we're going to jump into chapter 4, uh, verse 16. It's going to be on the screens, and if you text the word notes to 97,000 on your phone, you'll get a copy of the whole thing, because I'm going to go through it a little bit fast. Uh, so anyways, on the Sabbath day, He, Jesus, went into the synagogue that was like the Jewish kind of church at the time, right? As was his custom, meaning this wasn't a new thing. This wasn't out of the ordinary. He probably did this a lot. Luke's making comments about this. This wasn't unique. He stood up to read and the scroll of the uh, prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Um, so the format that we know of, based on kind of research and whatever, is that their, their sort of format as a service operated in this way. Um, they would gather together on, on, the, on the Sabbath and at certain some certain time, right? They would uh, read the Shema together, which for them was Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, their very first part of that, which is hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That was like the core verse. Every week we get together, we remember that we are a chosen people of God and that God is one and, and that we have a, unique relationship with them. Uh, at that point then, they would go on to some like, standard prayers. They would read from the Torah, which is the law books, math, uh, Sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then as a as a result of reading the law and what makes us set apart, then they would read through the prophets. And in the prophets then, the prophets, if, you know, if you've studied the Old Testament, are basically um, their way of saying, through our history, we've had this access to the law, and sometimes we've got it right, but most of the time we've got it wrong. And there are punishments and, and uh, consequences. And whenever we forget to be who we are supposed to be, there's, there's somebody that's calling us back to what uh, the right way of doing things is. And the prophets operated in that way for them in a big way. So every week they would read about what they were supposed to do and why they got it wrong and why, probably trying to make sense of why Israel at this time is operating as an oppressed country, why we're living in occupied space. We had the Greeks, the Romans, the Persians. We've had everybody kind of come in and had their way with us. And we are just kind of like always under the feet of some sort of empire. Whatever the current world empire is at the time, uh, for four generations, it's been, us. working for somebody else, paying taxes to support lifestyles back at the Capitol that don't affect us. We have not been in control of our own human identity since the time of Solomon and David and all of those kings back in like the heyday. And the result, the reason is because we just can't seem to get this right. So when we gather together, we remember who we are. We remember what we were supposed to do. And remember, and we read about the prophets about how we got it wrong so that then it would follow with instructions on how to kind of live rightly. And then it would end with a benediction. So if that sounds familiar, it's a lot like what we do on a Sunday morning. Like the model hasn't changed for thousands of years. We gather together. I don't read the Shema each week, but I remind us of who we are. We remind us of instructions about what it means to get it wrong. We in, in, in interpretations on this, and then we get a read a benediction. And we go on our way and do our thing. So, uh, you know, all these people come along every once in a while. We're like, why does church like look the same now? Why, do, why can't we do it differently? It's fine. It's an, an honest look, and I get it. But um, it's not like we just. Pulled this out of thin air. We're pulling this from a scenario that's kind of expedited for us or given to us uh, early on. Anyway, so he this is his context for reading Isaiah. He's he's in charge of the teaching for that day. He reads from Isaiah, unrolling the scroll because they didn't have a Bible. They wouldn't say open up you know your U you version on your you know app or on your phone or whatever. Um, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and then he's going to go on and he's going to read this. And here's what it says in verse 18, quoting from Isaiah chapter 61 a real common text, by the way. This text, imagine being a people group who at one point was a young fledgling, fledgling nation out of Egypt, coming out of slavery, and then all of a sudden everything you're doing is right. You're you're winning, you're, you're, you're growing as a nation, the wealth is increasing, you build this temple that other kings and queens like admire, Um, they look at you and think, I don't know what God or gods you're serving, but whatever it is, it's working. And you're having this massive success rate. And then all of a sudden it just stops. And now you're behind and now you're, you're, you're constantly being exposed to an empire who has their foot on your throat and are basically forcing you to kind of do their bidding and do their will. And imagine wanting to get back to having that freedom once again. Imagine having 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 um, grown from generation to generation. We're all you know. If you're watching this, you're probably from America. Uh, In your entire life, we've probably led the world in like GDP and and wealth. And it's there's never been threat of occupant, you know being occupied by somebody else. Okay, Um, so we we know nothing about this. We are we are the ones in control. Um, And so this this reads a little bit differently. It's really hard for us to get our mindset in that way. So, but imagine this for them. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a a message of hope. This would be a thing that they would cling to. If you were, if you were hurting, if you were broken, if you felt like everything was against you, if you feel like there's nothing that you could do to kind of get a a leg up, if there's no way to kind of break through, this is a pirate text right here. If you're, if you're experiencing um, like the nepotism at work and you just can't seem to break through, or, or if, if you're a person of color and, and it feels like, I, 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 like you, you can feel tangibly a systemic racism in this way, this would be a verse that would be like, oh my gosh, I, this verse speaks to me. I can get behind this. Even if you're not religious, you look at this and be like, who wouldn't want this? this if this was what the church was about— If this was what it was about, then that would be a little bit differently. And I know here's the thing about this verse um, as pirate sort of esque as it is. Um, There are a couple different ways that it can be taken and has been taken historically. Uh, This can be seen as a spiritual verse, um, the sort of freedom that is is involved is sort of a forgiveness, because the same word is used uh, to kind of operate in forgiveness, or forgiveness, you know, or freedom from addiction, or from my own sin, or from myself. Um, Recovery of sight for the blind can be uh, like a spirit, you can like do a spiritual take on that. I was blinded to my own, you know, sins. I was blinded to my own way of life. I was lost in, in, in and of myself. Um, set the oppressed free. I've I've had this, you know, you can read this as spiritual. You can also read this entirely as socioeconomical and say, um, no, he's talking about literal sight for the blind people. He's talking about literal prisoners who can't experience freedom uh, and literal oppression that Jesus's message of liberation, liberation theology has come to kind of expose and and free these people from it. There's two different ways and probably based on kind of your upbringing and where you come from, you probably read this in, in one. One of those two ways. And that's fine. I, I would say that the uh, I can't, I'm probably not going to change your mind in 20 minutes on a Sunday, especially watching this online where you have the ability to just click a button and I go away. Um, uh, so my, my only th- thought for you on this is what if, what if all of the things that you currently think about this thing are true, right? Um, it's either, yes, it's entirely spiritual or yes, it's entirely socioeconomical. C- could you agree that it could be at least that, but maybe even more? could you agree that it's, yes, it's that, but it's also, there's, there's involvement in this. It's not just, um, it's not just personal so- social justice. There is, like Jesus did come for something more than that, but uh, the, the, often the time, the way the church has gotten it wrong, let's be honest, is spiritualized it and not had it play out in actual reality for the people involved in this, okay? Um, and that's just the reality of how this thing works. And so he reads this text, Two people group have kind of held this out for hope, but then he's going to flip it a little bit and uh, do some things interesting with this. Um, he's going to do two things. Two things are going to happen here, and the first one informs the second. So one is this. He doesn't finish the actual phrase in Isaiah chapter 61. Um, he leaves something out. In fact, he leaves a couple of words out, but the most significant thing that he leaves out is what comes at the end, which could be considered normal. I mean, I don't read every single verse uh, that we do on a Sunday morning. Occasionally, if the verse doesn't feel relevant for the sake of time, and, not, and you know, I don't want to be able to go in and have to explain why Paul said this or whatever, I'll skip through some verses. Um, but sometimes it's intentional, like all news source issues, like what you leave out sometimes, something matters almost as much as what you decided to include. What you decide to leave out sometimes can mean just as much as what you decide to include. But there's something here that makes it even more obvious of what he tries to pull off. He concludes a familiar phrase mid-thought. And I think that this would have been so obvious to his original audience, and it would have said and communicated so much that perhaps we don't know because we're not as familiar with Isaiah 61 because, again— um, for many of us this is a really cool verse it's really enlightening in a time like this it translates well onto Facebook posts and Instagram stuff and it gets a lot of likes but we don't feel this this isn't it hasn't hung in our hearts as like a, a point of hope and so uh, sometimes um, this would be, uh, the, the, what leaves off is what's more important. And so something to the effect of this, let me explain why, what I, if I left it off, you would know what I'm talking about. If I were to sing to you the national anthem, our national anthem right now, because, and why would you do that, Brent? Well, it, one, it's in my range, my vocal range. Uh, and then two, it's a familiar song that we would all know. And I'm lying about that first one. Um, and I would say, I would go, and I would, I'd you know, start it off. I'd have Andrew, Andrew Press play in the back. He's freaking out right now because I didn't actually have anything like that. And I would, I would play this whole thing, and I'd start singing it for you. And, and you're like, oh, is, there a, is there a baseball game that's about to start? Or what's happening with, with all of this? And I'd get to the spot where I would say, oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave? And I'd hold that wave for a very long time. And then I would say, or the land of the free. And then I would hold that saying, I'm singing for you right now. And then I would hold that and I would end it free. And I would say, thank you. You may be seated. Right. And if I did that right now, you would all be like, you'd have your hands, you'd be standing, right. And we'd we'd be doing this honoring, whatever. And I'd say, over the land of the free, you may be seated. And you'd be like, you'd look around at all the people who were here and be like, did Brent just do that? And then you'd probably mumble to yourself in the home of the brave. And then you would sit down Like, it would be very clear what I left off, and you'd be wondering a couple of things. One, is Brent dumb? Does he not know how the song goes? Is he trying to make some sort of a statement about, like, maybe we're not as brave as we think we are? Like, what's going on? Something is happening here. That's what, I think that's what's going on here. Because listen to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Again, a f- text that they would all be familiar with. One that he just read from the scroll and decided to leave this off. Here's what it reads. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim uh, good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and relief from, uh, from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where he ended. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. This is the part that he leaves off this idea of vengeance, of comfort coming, of something said being set right, uh, something that's broken, a system that, that is broken actually now coming back into form and comfort for those who have something to mourn about. There's something taking place here. There it is, justice and vengeance for those who commit injustice, and true, real, felt comfort for those who have things worth mourning about. And instead of finishing the phrase for them, he lets them finish it in their minds, and that is what informs what he's about to do next. In verse 20 of back, now we're back in Luke's account of what Jesus did. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why? Because now this is the point where they were going to instruction about what to do when With all of this. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I used to think that that was kind of like a mic drop moment. Like like I just say this one thing and then I, boom, I leave and they're all impressed or whatever. But after reading through it, I, I really do think he took the time. He began by saying this, but that doesn't mean he was limited to saying this. He probably began to expound on all of this and talk about himself in this way. And it would say afterwards that they were, they were the crowd that listened to him were impressed, again, by the authority by which he spoke. Some of them had questions and issues with it later, obviously. But when he said this, it was a polarizing thing. What he's saying is, this is what it's supposed to have been about. This message of hope, and then um, justice for those who've experienced injustice, vengeance towards those who perpetuate injustice, and comfort for those who mourn. Um, And instead of saying that, he would let that simmer in their minds, and then as it's out there doing that, he would say, that's what I've come here to solve. Because as good as it's looked on paper, it hasn't really translated into actuality. And so my mission, my purpose, my reason for being here, the invitation that I have is not just an invitation to be a part of this. It's a declaration that the mission of Jesus is reconciliation in this way. It's a declaration that if you believe in the sovereignty of God is going to happen whether you like it or not, but then it's also an extension of an invitation to be a part of something like that. It's a declaration and it's an invitation that Jesus' ministry is not just about gathering. It's almost as if he's saying, we've gathered together enough to talk about it now we're actually going to do something about it. Because one of the things that he says in here is this idea of the year of the Lord. And and this would be a phrase, um, that that whole verse would be a very powerful context for what they had called the year of Jubilee, which in their way of doing things, when they had a chance to form their own government and do the way that, you know, they've, they had experienced oppression. They did appearance or um, uh, experience systemic uh, economic um, things that would be like the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And as a way to kind of uh, counter that, they said, when we get in control, we will do this thing called the year of Jubilee. And every seven years, all debts will be released. Everything will kind of go back to normal. It's just a big giant reset so that nobody can just pass down generational wealth upon generational wealth and generational wealth. Like we are going to do this as a community. This is going to be a powerful piece of us. And then we're going to do this like year of the Jubilee of Jubilee. So every 49 years, we're going to do something that's like, it's a massive reset. So like everything literally is back to normal. We're all back to, to kind of square one on this. And we, everybody gets a fresh start in this way, which can sound good. It can sound, and they had their ways of negotiating this and they had their ways of dealing with uh, things so that people couldn't abuse the system and and they developed it. But essentially it was a way for them to uh, realize, listen, wealth has a way of tricking people into think that they deserve it or owed it or this, or um, that we get blinded to the way that economic oppression can take place. And so we are going to s- foresee that and fix the system. The problem that they have is that they were never in a, or they, eventually they lost their ability to kind of uh, manage that or administer that because they were in, under oppressive empires, right? So they can't Operate in this way. So there's good evidence that the year of Jubilee really never took off like it should have. On paper, it looks good, but it really wasn't being practiced partly because they couldn't. Romans, Greeks, everybody wouldn't let them do it. And partly because when you're rich, it's really hard to kind of part with your riches because your identity is so trapped in your wealth and you're in control. And then all of a sudden, this sounded like a good idea when you were on the other side of it. But now that you have it and you're going to lose something, it doesn't sound like a good idea. And so they almost talk themselves out of these things. And whether it falls into one of these two categories or how much or what percentages, who knows. But eventually, essentially, this idea of we've experienced slavery. We don't want to be a part of that again. We're going to do it differently in our way. Didn't translate to actual playing out of it. So Jesus shows up. He reads from it. He reminds them of where they came from and what the original mindset was from this. And then says, listen, I'm declaring that this incoming kingdom that I'm bringing forth is going to highlight this and factor this in. And now this is an invitation to be a part of it. And he's going to go out and he's going to reach the unreached. He's going to talk to the people who weren't qualified enough to be able to be a part of the church, who typically were excluded and left out from a social behavior standpoint, from an economic standpoint. He would talk to all sorts of groups in this way. Yes, he would heal their actual, bring physical healing to their eyesight, but he would also enlighten the people who were so rich, who would come to him with questions about what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he would say, listen, it's really hard for you because you have so much stuff and your identity is going to be wrapped up in your stuff. It would be so much easier for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle than for you to understand that my identity is not in my stuff because you just got too much stuff, man. This is his way of saying, and, and Luke puts this at the very beginning of this, to try and give us a lens by which to look through and say, this was Jesus's ministry as a whole. It had all kinds of things to do with uh, like uh, financial, like, uh, it had so much things to do with spiritual stuff, absolutely, but it was very much a freeing thing for those as well who felt the physical bonds of oppression, the physical bonds of this. Those who, if left to themselves, would probably engage in pirate sort of activity. And he says, it's pirate radio. I'm beaming this to you. I'm showing you that this is what I want to be about. And you get invited to be a a part of this. You've talked about it long enough. I know in your minds, it's been there. We've got this history. It's in our books. You're just not actually doing it. So I'm going to help you begin to do it. His message was not centered around time spent in dedicated worship and contemplation in his temple, but about social justice and release from captivity. And we, we would be remiss as a church if we didn't see that. Now, are we going to continue to gather, to gather together and talk about it? Yes, because when you know better, you do better, all that kind of stuff. But if that's not playing out in our each and individual lives, then we're missing the part, we're missing a piece of what Jesus came to be. And then we would have to kind of read this text and hear what he left out and feel a little bit convicted about this vengeance for those who are committing injustice and comfort for those who have something to mourn about. So this powerful text then continues to set the stage for why I think that Christianity, when it's done. In its purest form as possible. I know we're biased. It'll never be purest. It'll never be purest on the side of eternity. But if, if we're not looking for ways to side uh, to benefit those who are economically disenfranchised and uh, broken physically, broken spiritually, um, then we're missing out on Jesus. Um, we're missing out on his invitation and his declaration that this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. So. We're going to continue to talk about pirate radio attacks for the next couple of weeks. Hope you can join us uh, for uh, those last two parts of this series. All right, as we end today, I just have a couple of quick announcements. One uh, is uh, the Connect card that's just below this screen. If you're watching this online right now, um, if you would let us know uh, that you're out there. Sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to a camera. It's always nice to see the names coming through, but don't do it as just a personal affirmation to your pastor, even though I like that. Um, also, it's a spot to be able to communicate um, things that you're going through in life, prayer requests, life updates, whatever else uh, that we can kind of play a part in, uh, especially during this kind of stay away, stay at home sort of model. Um, and uh, we we read through this every single week just so you know if you are a first time guest, let us know you're here. In that way, too, mark that box that says first time guest on there. We donate money to a different organization doing good things locally and globally for the month of June. My friend's place over in Kennewick is a homeless teen shelter for kids who need a spot. Well, things get figured out at home. Let us know if you're here. Here's someone no much to donate. And uh, yeah, and then like uh, Philip said in the video, keep checking on the community marketplace. We are hopeful uh, that news uh, and opportunities shift in the near future to be able to do some sort of community outside of just watching this individually, but um, we hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. I'm going to read a benediction for you and then get you on your way. Here's what it says. Lord, free us from our self-deception and attune our hearts to your spirit, that we might remember how you humbled yourself and learn to serve one another, whatever our disagreements. Amen. May that go with you this week, whatever it is you're facing. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next week for part three of Fire Radio.